The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary. Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders, and I'm one of the trio of co-hosts for this 79th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from Turkey's Aegean coastline, as the morning stars appear to fade behind the bright luminescence of the rising sun here, whichever time zone you are currently experiencing, hopefully you are relaxing into this show and are open to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I will soon be joined by Kintia from her infamous wheelhouse near San Francisco and Annette Driscoll, who is back in town once again and defying the mandates set out by COVID-stricken Newsom. This show is entitled Unmasking Critical Thinking. As we continue exploring deeper into the depths of the current abyss, otherwise known as the minority's rollout to build back a better new world order, using fear porn, which now goes beyond the pandemic variations and faxes, to include a pinch of climate catastrophe dealt out by hypocritical, mindless puppet leaders through their spineless media prostitutes. In order to understand how this agenda is perpetuated, we need to identify the point where critical thinking goes over a bump in the road and never returns to meet the road surface again. It is essential to learn why these lies, fear, and tyranny are able to take any traction at all with the people, which makes cutting sections through this programming an unavoidable challenge. Along the way, we frequently discover abhorrent truths hiding in plain sight. However, we also find many luminaries who not only prevent us from running aground, but also offer us great hope. Have you ever considered how positive your return is? in relation to the large number of years you have personally invested into your so-called education? Have you ever questioned who sets out the syllabus and why? We used to be taught to expect rewards after hard work. Now most graduates begin their career with incredible, unenviable debts. What kind of a reward is that for gaining a license to enter the job market? Do you feel the direction you study, guided by your mentors, was tailored around your best interests? Or did you simply find there were not sufficient avenues to even accept your complaints, let alone discuss what is fair? You may notice a fractional correlation of this 
has become highly prevalent in today's society. For example, in the countless automated systems that have been installed, have you ever noticed, for example, if you agree to accept a phone quality control survey before you finally speak with a real human operator at the bank, you may get served quicker. And have you ever noticed how difficult it has become to actually lodge a complaint? There are increasingly fewer and fewer options to award anything but praise. This is really the woke age. I do not believe it is my imagination this type of service in general has not only suffered, but in many cases has become unbearably, utterly useless. So back to school. You may or not be surprised to learn, even the way most of us learn was only established around 120 years ago. And rather amazingly, the source of this largely rolled out education system is not as varied as you may imagine. Keith, please roll sound excerpt A. And now we come to the great man himself, a man history records as being instrumental in the creation of America's public education system. Horace Mann was an American educator who served as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, part of the American Congress. Horace Mann was the key reformer of the education system at the time. In 1837, he became the head of the newly created Board of Education in Massachusetts, where he began the work that would eventually earn him the title as the father of American public education. After reading through the educational models of different countries, Mann finally hears about a particularly successful style that had been developed in Prussia, which is now modern-day Germany. The Prussian system had shown to be such a success for the government's purposes that, accompanied by a few other educators, Horace Mann travels to Germany to investigate. Upon their return to the United States, they lobbied heavily to have the Prussian model adopted. Interest in Prussia had also been growing in the northern half of the continent. Around this time, the Canadian superintendent of schools, Egerton Ryerson, traveled to Prussia in search of a new model of education. His journeys also included visiting Horace Mann in Massachusetts to further examine the system he would eventually adopt. George Brown, the editor of Toronto's Globe newspaper, was even quoted saying that Ryerson had successfully imported Prussian education into Ontario. During the next 30 years or so, a whole line of American dignitaries came to Germany to earn degrees. Interestingly enough, those who earned degrees in Germany came back to the United States to staff all the major universities. By 1900, all the PhDs in the United States were trained in Prussia. As the first secretary of the State Board of Education, Horace Mann promoted his new concept that the state is the father of children. He stressed that it was the responsibility of the state to ensure that education was provided for the child. A very noble idea, of course, but what exactly did he mean by that? And how did he define education? It seems like a very broad subject. It is a very broad subject. Education encompasses all of human history and all the knowledge we have gathered during that time. Not to mention, and perhaps most importantly, what we as human beings learn over our lifetime on a personal level. Horseman's 10th annual report in 1846 led to the first state law that made it mandatory for children to go to school. It was during that year that he supported the governor of Massachusetts in adopting the Prussian model of education for the entire state. How did he do that? The governor of the time, Edward Everett, as it turns out, was the very first to receive a PhD from, can you guess where? That's right, Prussia. From then on, it spread very quickly. 
Just after Everett installed the Prussian model in the state of Massachusetts, the governor of New York set up the very same method in 12 New York schools. Horace Mann's sister, Elizabeth Peabody, the Peabody Foundation, saw to it that right after the Civil War, the Prussian system that was then being taught in the northern states was integrated into the Concord South. By 1900, most of the compulsory schooling laws that implemented the new system had been passed. From then on, every American child grew up under the Prussian system. So what exactly was the Prussian education system that everyone thought was so amazing that it just had to be adopted throughout the free world? To give you just a bit of background, in the 18th century, the Kingdom of Prussia, which is now modern-day Germany, was among the first countries of the world to introduce free and compulsory education. After the Prussians were defeated by Napoleon in 1806, it was decided that the reason why the battle was lost was that the Prussian soldiers were thinking for themselves in the battlefield instead of following orders. To make sure that this couldn't happen again, a new eight-year system of schooling was created. This new system provided not only the skills needed for the early industrialized world, such as reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also a strict education that taught duty, discipline, respect for authority, and the ability to follow orders. Elite children destined for higher offices went on to attend private schools, while the rest of the population had no access to the secondary education. They were destined for the working class. Through this new system, the Prussian court tried to create social obedience in the citizens through indoctrination. Every individual had to become convinced at the core of their being that the king was just, his decisions were always right, and the need for obedience paramount. In truth, the entire purpose of the system was to instill loyalty to the crown and to train young men for the military and bureaucracy. To do this, it was necessary to squeeze out all independent thinking from the masses. Influencing this new system from the beginning was Prussian philosopher Johann Gottlieb Fitch. Combining John Locke's view that the children are a blank slate and Rousseau's ideas on how to write on that slate, Prussia established an educational system that was considered scientific in nature. An important part of the Prussian system was that it defined for the child what was to be learned, what was to be thought about, and how long to think about it. In order to have an efficient policy-making class and a subclass beneath it, it was believed that one had to remove the power of most people to make sense out of the available information. In other words, critical thinking had to be done away with. Now, if you're wondering why the average person doesn't know that the North American education system is based directly on the Prussian model, it might just be because its original purpose was not designed for the good of the individual, but for the good of the government. The philosophy of Johann Fitch directly influenced the creation of the Prussian model of schooling. As he is quoted saying, the schools must fashion the person and fashion him in such a way that he simply cannot will otherwise than what you wish him to will. With quotes like these, you can see why his involvement is not well known. Education should aim at destroying free will, so that after pupils are thus schooled, they will be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmasters would have wished. When this technique has been perfected, every government that has been in charge of education for more than one generation will be able to control its subjects securely without the need of armies or policemen. In 1807, in Berlin occupied by Napoleon, Johann Fitch gave a series of famous addresses to the German nation. Fitch spoke of the superiority of German people above all others. 
The content of these speeches was a catalyst for the Prussian education system and German nationalism. In other earlier works, he calls Jews a state within a state that would, quote, undermine the German nation. He openly expressed a desire to expel Jews from Germany. Fitch had a deep influence on the rise of the Third Reich and continues to be deemed, quote, the spiritual father of modern neo-Nazism, which begs the question, why would the father of American education make it a law that every child spend their youth in a system created by the father of neo-Nazism? Historians reflect that one of the greatest social factors that allowed a man like Hitler to rise to power was that the German people had been bred from birth to respect authority above all else and accept it without question. Which begs another question, if the entire population of North America is raised in the system adopted from pre-Nazi Germany, what are we setting ourselves up for? This is a sound excerpt from a fascinating podcast which is entitled The Origins of the American Public Education System, Horace Mann and the Prussian Model of Obedience, researched by Brendan Conway-Smith and Eve Zarifa. While I cannot personally vouch for all of this information currently, it does present a compelling lead into a new vein of future research. What goes around does come around. Newsom, now a COVID veteran, looked like shit warmed up at his latest press conference. Thank goodness for the vax. And did you hear Nancy Pelosi's recent press briefing? She should surely win an Oscar for delivering a very random script. Or perhaps she too is speaking in Bidenese. In the meantime, Billy the Gates of Hell's yacht is still hanging around the Aegean. Today I saw it at the fuel depot. Is this Bill's idea of offsetting his carbon footprint, maintaining his yacht some four and a half thousand kilometers away from the COP26? On the bright side, I recently heard a very positive follow-up interview on a popular independent radio broadcast, which frankly brought on a smile. It goes to show that even negative actions are often the foundational cause of some very positive reactions. In this case, not only did this woman generate momentum enough to create a wave of hope for her family, colleagues, students, and their families in her home city of Miami, but this wave has continued to engulf the rest of the planet. This very proactive and important antidotal manifestation seems so clear and so obvious once you've heard it. And yet, it is currently one of a kind and a model that I very much hope will be franchised out into every school on a global scale. It is often said, awareness is the first step towards repair. I believe we should dare to go a lot further and instigate a renaissance to the education system. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofthenews.com. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last week, we've been inundated by a torrent of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself. 
as the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show. And in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. Did you ladies learn about Horace Mann's Prussian way at school? Well, Timothy, interestingly enough, I never learned any of that in school. And in fact, finding out that there's so many things I didn't learn in school, I'm trying hard to catch up right now. Uh, it's amazing what they teach you and what they don't teach you. So we have a lot of unlearning and relearning and not even relearning. But in the meantime, they're keeping us busy with a lot of news, a lot of weird stuff going on in the, the world. And I'm not going to even try to un unwrap that one except to give you a couple of little things that are going on, maybe not so little, uh, What what's happening here in the world. One of the big things this week is that the Durham report uh, I've been talking about that for a long time, but the indictments are starting to roll and it's becoming very, very clear the direction that the direction that that's taking. And it's, uh, it's not good for the Clinton, the Clintons over there. And it's not good for anyone connected to the Clintons, let's say Obama and Biden. It's looking pretty bad. And so that's really interesting. The Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty entertaining and pretty interesting court case going on right now because the judge has reprimanded the super liberal uh, prosecution attorney. And uh, that, that's an interesting case in so many ways. Uh, and it kind of blows a big hole on all of their propaganda about white privilege and self-defense and uh, taking away the Second Amendment rights. So if you're not up with that, you might want to check into that. That's pretty interesting. And then, you know, we can't we can't really go by without talking about what's going on with uh, our quote leaders out here. Mm. Yeah, the uh, Joe pretendency there. He he came up with a 38% approval rating, and that's that's with the uh, the bias of the fake stream media. And camel toe came up with 28. It's, it's got to be incredibly low. So there's that going on. And then um, we have the uh, November 4th election. Last week when we, we had the show, the results weren't all in, but they, they are now. And the November 4th election, what's interesting about that is Biden had endorsed four candidates, which all lost. And Trump had endorsed four candidates, which all won. And you have to say, hmm. I wonder what would happen if we had the uh, 22 midterm elections right now. I think we can figure that out. That's that's pretty much all done there. So uh, I actually, oh, I wanted to say too that the Durham report, I put up a thing. I'm, I'll move it to, it's on Patrick Henry right now, my channel out there, but I will move it to the items because there's a really excellent interview uh, that John Ratcliffe gaze and he breaks it down and in the process really explains all the players that are currently involved in that Durham report and makes it pretty straightforward. So I know it's confusing because there's an awful lot going on there about Russia, 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 and all of the falsified information, but it makes it pretty clear. And I would, I would encourage you to like uh, watch that and, and kind of get up to speed. So, you know, there's a, uh, well, I, I just keep going on and on with uh old dementia joe or is it is it uh poopy pants pedo i think both names really fit at this point but anyway 
uh, he's he's just causing all kinds of things. It's it's actually kind of funny. Uh, they they took off. <laughs> so we're gonna get the free speech here. They took off the dislikes off of YouTube this week. Mm. Who was getting all the dislikes? Oh, he was. Everything that they were doing was getting dislikes. So they decided to remove the dislikes, as if that makes the problem go away. So they're you know censoring everything that is in opposition, and then trying to make people think that. There aren't so many dislikes as there actually are. We all know better. Uh, Project Veritas is a really interesting case right now, too. So there's this issue of Ashley uh, Biden's diary. Now, this thing has been out of her possession for well over a year. It was supposedly, it was turned over to Project Veritas. They said, we can't confirm its authenticity. Or we tried, they, they tried to return it. Now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he, he gets raided and there it's getting worse because actually it turns out that the FBI was told uh, by the department of justice to not uh, basically spy on him. And they, they have continued to, and what is the FBI involved in a lost diary anyway? I mean, this is not even uh, a case that, that should be involved, but I, I believe the only reason that that case is coming up is because it has some pretty sensitive material in it, including uh, allegations uh, from Biden's daughter, Ashley, that uh, he raped her and his uh, her daughter, the grandchild. So, and that's just the same one that Biden was also, uh, um, Hunter, sorry, Hunter was, uh, was reported to be having um, sexual contact with also. So this is, this is pretty ugly. And um, the thing is, is that these, these people, it just keeps coming out. And the question is, is hmm, which side is this coming from? I'm starting to wonder, and I'm starting to get really confused, but it's all pretty interesting to watch. And I think, you know, this, if, you, if you're of the camp where I am, where we're living in a movie and everything is being shown to the people that don't get it, this is a pretty interesting movie with a lot of twists and turns. So there's one more little, little thing that's going on there. Um, so uh, speaking of, politicians, there's Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson announced this week that the uh, the COVID-19 jabs, they don't protect you from acquiring the virus, and it doesn't stop you from passing it on. So one would have to ask, where's the logic? Is there, There's no logic or justification for any of this, and especially not the passports, and yet they're still pushing them. It's not a matter of health. And so even even the most obtuse person at this point starts to figure out hmm, there's something up with this, right? And then let's look at the fact checkers, back to this First Amendment thing and what's going on with Google and all that. Well, we've got the fact checkers, and I had articles up about this quite a while ago, but it has it's become much more mainstream. And that is the fact checkers funding. So uh, they're funded by many of the Open uh, Society, which is all George Soros funding, uh, these these uh, NGOs, and they're funded by Google, and they're funded by Pfizer, um, and there's a, a bunch of other ones, but a good article came out this week that hit the public pretty hard. So that, that's pretty interesting that that's being revealed, too. And then um, on the, the subject of the, the crappy vax, uh, I have a bunch of things. They're just kind of random little things that came up. There was a, do a documentation this week that 82% of women that were jabbed in the studies 
lost, the pregnant women lost their pregnancies, 82%, that's pretty high. That's only leaving 18% were able to keep their pregnancies in the first or second trimester. That's terrible odds. And on top of that, that we're not even talking about the birth defects and the other issues for the poor children that were born with, with uh, this situation going on. In the meantime, they're going after the five-year-olds on up, and um, they, according to the CDC, this is straight off their website, they are uh, five to 14-year-olds are 50% more likely to die of influenza or the flu than of COVID. So what are, what are we doing here with jabbing them with this horrible experimental gene therapy that's giving them heart attacks and dropping them, you know, in their tracks? unbelievable that parents would continue to be not do the research and not not pay attention to this but unfortunately it's what's happening right now so um and a part of this is fact checkers and, and all the misinformation that's out there uh, but personally when i'm thinking about taking something or whatever I, I check it out i mean i couldn't do an experimental thing uh anyway so that's that's all going on and uh they also, one of the things that's come out is a lot of videos have come out with people that are now coming forward about what's happened to them. Uh, and I've been tracking this for a long time and collecting these videos. But this week, this week, a lot came out. And uh, especially the uh, professional sports, these professional athletes. And unfortunately, I have several compilations of these people literally dying out in the middle of the field, uh, dying in the locker room, dying in their beds. Uh, having permanent disabilities from this, et cetera. So this will not, uh, with that kind of, of uh, publicity, this will not be able to stay undercover for very long. Uh, so I think that we're seeing a, a big shift and a big role in the uh, what we're what we've been talking about for the last, you know, 18 to 20 months here. And a new little thing, I, you know, I like my words, so I came up with this one. Uh, is COVID. COVID stands for C, control, O, oppress, D, victimize, I, isolate, and D, divide. And when you think about it, this is exactly what they're trying to do still, but I don't think their plan is going to work. And I haven't even gotten into all the money stuff and what's going on with the Fed and the Treasury. And I, you know, hopefully I'll be able to talk about that next week when we have some more time. But I wanted to say um, a couple things about this. Uh, I wanted to talk about freedom. And um, if you consent and take the injection, does it give you freedom? And I would say emphatically, no, it does not give you freedom. It gives you privileges. Freedom is not something that you can receive from anyone. Freedom is self-determined. And freedom is your choice to decide what is right for you. Privileges or special rights are given to you as a reward for your obedience, think like a dog, or your compliance, think jab. Special rights are given to you from authority figures. Anyone that gives you privileges can take them away at any time. And we've seen numerous examples of this, haven't we? We've been living through this nightmare of this for the last almost 20 months now. Anyone that gives you this, certainly take it away as they randomly change the rules to suit themselves. With the jab, you are not getting freedom. You are agreeing to the random discretion of the self-appointed authoritarians. 
This is exactly the opposite of freedom. Forced into dependency. Don't play the game. This will only last as long as you play along. Don't trade your freedom for privilege. Don't do it ever. So this is from an anonymous author. I don't know where it came from. Being that yesterday was Veterans Day, it's called Freedom Source. And it's about honoring our veterans on Veterans Day and every day. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, that has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, freedom to demonstrate. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a free trial. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves under the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester to burn the flag. If it were not for the brave, there would be no land of the free. We're up to the break time again. Tonight's show is Unmasking Critical Thinking, and we'll be right back. Seventy-two vaccines. Your children will get, um, as of right now, before they're 18, and that number is doubling very quickly in the near future. And guys, the thing that bothered me so much is I had no idea back then in 98 that there were a lot of people talking about vaccines. But what I know now and what I learned in 2010, your listeners have to understand this. In 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. And let me say that again. Um, 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. This should be very eye-opening to anybody out there because what they're telling you that now is if you vaccinate your children, you have to deal with the consequences because they've just told you that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. And more so that now, in 2018, Robert Kennedy Jr. and Big Tree put in the Health and Freedom of Information Act to have the safety studies released, okay? If your listeners don't know this, in 1986, Ronald Reagan passed the Vaccine Injury Act, which said the vaccine companies are exempt of any and all liability. But Reagan said, look, if we're going to give them blanket liability, we've got to at least make them do safety studies every other year. Not every year, but every other year. So they sued to have those safety studies released. And we've always heard that vaccines are safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. But when they got the report back, it was 100% empty. Not one single safety study has been done on any of the vaccines since 1986. This should be very, very, very disturbing to all you guys. That's what began to wake me up as far as vaccines were my children back in 98 when the medical doctors couldn't give me the safety studies. Guys, this is Christopher Key. Never forget it. It's Christ over. Christ is in me. He's in my name. Never forget my last name. It's Key, K-E-Y. God's given us the keys to unlock the doors that Satan never wanted unlocked, and we do it for our children. I so enjoyed 
the show tonight. The other side of the news is beyond fabulous. Welcome back to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight is Layla Sentner from the Sentner Academy, and our show is called Unmasking Critical Thinking. Co-hosting are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. Layla Sentner is the Chief Happiness Officer and co-founder of Sentner Academy, a privately held school that combines a deep commitment to emotional intelligence mindfulness, and happiness with a challenging curriculum featuring language immersion, entrepreneurial thinking, problem-solving, creativity, and collaboration. Using a strengths-based approach to learning, all Sentner Academy students and teachers have opportunities to do what they love, cross the curriculum through project and problem-based learning. Layla is on a personal mission to save the children by providing a happy, safe environment where kids can be kids. A proud mother of two daughters, Layla graduated magna cum laude from the University of Southern California School of Accounting and received her MBA from the University of California. Welcome. Welcome to the other side of the news, Layla. Hi, how are you? Oh, I am delighted to hear from you. You are a pioneer in this world. As a parent myself, I deeply appreciate the efforts you are making on behalf of children all across the country and I think around the world. It will spread. It takes courage like yours. I'm so curious how it is in this environment that, first of all, how did you determined that you were going to take the actions that you're taking in terms of unvaccinated teachers and special protocols for those who have been vaccinated? Well, um, I fortunately am blessed to have a group of friends who I call my superheroes. They're doctors um, that have been studying not just regular vaccines, but especially the COVID shot. And they've really, really been researching and figuring out all the things that have been happening. And I was on a phone call one weekend with a group of my friends, and they were talking to me about the things that they were seeing with their patients, unvaccinated patients, having these very weird symptoms. And the only common theme was they had spent the weekend with their vaccinated grandparents or vaccinated cousins or vaccinated family members. And, you know, one of my friends is a pediatrician and he's been a pediatrician for 40 years. And he goes, in 40 years, I've never seen this. I've never seen a 20-month-old baby bleeding from her vagina. (sighs) You know, you don't see little kids coming in with rashes around their privates. Like, if you see that, it's rare. It's not like it's just becoming normal. I mean, just recently, a friend of mine called me. Her friend's two-and-a-half-year-old baby is in the hospital on life support uh, for having a stroke, and they found spike proteins in the baby's uh, blood. So where did these spike proteins come from? This child was not, did not have COVID and has not been vaccinated. So there's just too many 
anecdotal cases. There's too many stories that are all over social media that are being banned and censored to ignore this, to mm-hmm. say, I'm not going to act until the science has been concluded. Because we all know that this day and age, science is bought and paid for by pharma. Yes. <laughs> so for me, I just try and step back and look at and use my critical thinking brain and say, okay, my community has a 99.99% survival rate from this virus. Why should I allow the element of unknown and uncertainty to enter my community when my community is not dying from this virus? Very logical. And yeah, and I and I feel like that's all I did. I applied common sense to a situation that there's mass hysteria because of the media fear porn that's out there that people are making irrational decisions because they're in the lower part of their brain. They're not thinking rationally. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the education business strictly for my love of children and my love to transform the education system. I mean, by nature, I went to school for an accounting. I have an accounting degree and I have a master's in business and I was a CFO for the company that we sold. So education is not my specialty. It's my passion. Mm. And, and I feel like if other school owners had a love, a true love for their kids and for their well-being, they would be doing more research into figuring out, is it wise to mask your children for eight hours a day? And if they have a logical, critical thinking brain, they would all come up with the same answer, which is absolutely not. There's zero evidence, there's zero science, there's zero reasons to mask a child for seven to eight hours a day. Sadly, they're not doing that because they are just blindly following. And I've never been a follower. I'll never be a follower. I will always make the decisions based on uh, being in a calm and peaceful state so that way I can make a logical decision, not a fear-based decision. That is so important. And I was looking at your school, the Sentner Academy, and the things that you're featuring there, the services, the the uh, curriculum. I was looking at the Sentner Academy. I'm sorry. I'm going to edit all that blob out. <laughs> so I was looking at your Sentner Academy, at your curriculum, and I really loved that you, beyond featuring language immersion, you had entrepreneurial thinking, problem solving, creativity, and collaboration. Those qualities have pretty much been taken out of the public schools, along with critical thinking. I I just think that that is such an important element that our students are being robbed of deliberately, it seems. Yeah, I think it's all strategic. I think Removing critical thinking from schools, removing uh, children's uh, ability to focus on love and connection. Instead, they're focused on division, disconnection, divisiveness. This is all strategic to take down our incredible country. And they know the only way that they can do that is if they brainwash and they basically destroy the minds of our youth. Mm. Because if our youth so brainwashed and so basically just obedient little humans, they're going to be able to do whatever they want to our country when these young kids are adults. 
it's a strategic plan that they have in place. And, uh, and many adults are just walking their children to the slaughterhouse. That's really sad. So when we have a system that is so intricate and got its tentacles everywhere, we look across the nation, we see all these schools are complying with these ridiculous mandates. And yet you managed to set for your school unique standards. And how have you managed to bring that about in the face of such uh, dark political pressures? I think for me, it's just been pretty easy. I focus on the kids. I focus on their well-being. I focus on their happiness. I focus on their souls. And I can't make a decision that I know in my heart is hurting them to appease politicians or bureaucrats that are obviously being influenced for other reasons than the right reasons. And so I put myself out there and I was willing to take whatever heat I needed to take to protect these kids. And if all school owners did what I am doing, this would end. If all parents sent their kids to school and said, we will not comply, this will end. You just have too many people that are blindly following, which is why this is almost two years later and it hasn't stopped. In fact, it's getting worse. You and, and all along, well. And all along the way, it's been a test. Did us with the lockdown, 15-day lockdown. They tested us with extending the lockdown. They're testing us with the mandatory masks. They've been testing us all along, and they're seeing how much they can get away with. And they're continuing to get away with this because we're allowing it. And so what I tell people is stop waiting for permission. Do not comply. Say no. I won't have it. And don't do it. To all the business owners that think that they need to mandate these shots because King Biden said it's mandatory. Say no. Say, I will not comply, and you will not force me, and when you send me a fine, I am throwing it in the trash. That is so on point. We are just shocked by how we see so many adults, as you say, following along blindly, and you are an example of someone who is using her voice for the good of the children that are in your care, but also for the good of our communities and I imagine you've taken a lot of heat. Thank you. Thank you for doing that for us. And you're a model for us. Really appreciate that. My pleasure. And for me, I'm here alive right here, right now to help fight this cause. Like, this is why I'm here. I won't stop to the tyranny ends. And I feel a huge sense of responsibility to do my part in helping shine the light on such a very unnecessary treatment of our children. I am experiencing that in the sense my stepson, he's in school. I go pick him up and I watch the children come out and they're all, you know, wearing the mask. They come out of school, they're still wearing the mask when they get outside. And it's been quite a challenge just to inform him that he doesn't have to wear the mask when he comes out of school. Finally, we're at that place, but it's taken a while to break that conditioning. It's like a conditioning you see, at least here in the Bay Area, in California, it's really um, 
oppressive in that way everywhere. Now they're wanting you to have a vaccine passport to go into a restaurant. It's ridiculous. And what's sadder is that the adults are going along with it. I just don't understand that. And so I really uh, think that we need more adults and children who are waking up their critical thinking and that are moving from mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And you certainly are an example of that and a voice for that. And I truly hope that parents and those who are around children will listen to you carefully and pay heed because you're looking at the scene firsthand. Yeah, I mean, I am. In September 2020, when I allowed masks to be optional, I never mandated masks for one second. I was not going to do that. I didn't care what my politicians said. Optional. And I noticed, especially in the beginning, so many kids were having headaches and migraines and dizziness and nauseousness. And I quickly realized that these masks are harming them physically. And then as I continued to observe for those parents that I could reach out to and I would tell them, just take the mask off, sign this mask exemption and, 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 and watch and see, see how your child is at the end of the day. And in a hundred percent of those cases, the kid, the symptoms disappeared. Wow. And as further time by, I would see the kids that would wear a mask all day emotionally, how they were impacted socially, how they were impacted. Like, there are so many aspects to the harmful impact of these masks. Even if a child is not complaining, you can't be with people all day long and only see half of their face. Right. You take away the life out of them. Yes, and um, especially at that age, we're so emotional. This is the time when we learn to interact with other human beings and we learn to discern what emotions are and we read from the expressions on our face. And so here we are covering up Half of the expressions on the face, so the cues are being lost. And communication is really breaking down among these children that are wearing masks. Yeah, it's impacting their ability to learn how to read because they can't see the teacher's lips. It's impacting their ability to learn languages at school. I mean, it's, it's impacting. They can't see their teacher's smile. Smiles are contagious. Yeah. When you smile, what else smiles? Imagine spending eight hours a day without seeing a smile. Like that's a knife to your heart. Mm-hmm. The damage that's done to our children every day that goes by that this doesn't stop, it becomes harder and harder to reverse. The OCD that this next generation is going to have, the amount of fear that, and anxiety that they're going to live with, it's going to be very hard to reverse. Depression has increased. Suicide has increased. Anxiety has increased all amongst our youth. Oh, yeah, the suicide rate has really gone up among children. Yeah, when they say uh, they're doing this to protect the health, that's that's a lie. That's a complete lie, because if you were protecting the health of our children, you would throw these masks away. Mm -hmm. So it is. Annetta, I'm sure you have some questions you'd like to come in with, dear? Yes, well, everything that you've been saying is absolutely on target. We've been talking about this since way at the beginning. In fact, we had a show on masks that I was adamant about. And and I wanted to talk a little bit about that and and all the different aspects because it is physical. 
in that I'm sure you're aware with, from the scientific point of view that the masks even stay on the side of the box. They absolutely do nothing for viruses. They don't even do anything for smoke and particulate matter. Smoke is much larger than viral particulate matter. So that kind of answers that question, not to mention the huge gaps around the sides and all that. So I did want to give you a little analogy that might help us with the kids. And that is, I have cats and I scoop out a cat box every day. And I like to think of the mask kind of as a scoop. And the bacteria is, is much larger. And it, it's kind of like the cat, cat poop that gets stuck in the, you know, you pick up in the scoop. And then um, the litter all falls out. And that's like the viruses. So that's kind of the analogy I use with people. I, I tried this thing with the mosquito flying through the chain like this. Sometimes that, that the penny drops, sometimes it doesn't. But anyway, that's just one of my little things. So I wanted to talk about the psychological aspects because we know that they've used masking for millennia to subjugate slaves to the system, to demoralize, to depress. Uh, also, the probing up the nose is a well-known thing for Egyptians. They use that to subdue the slaves. When you speak to the parents on this, what's the reaction and how are they accepting this? And is it affecting the adults also? So last school year was a very different school year than this school year. Last school year, I had a very divided community of, of sheep and lion, I like to call them. <laughs> I had the people who were fast asleep and just following blindly what the government and the CDC told them. And I had the other part of my community, which were like, this is insane. I will do anything at all costs to protect my child, and I will not subject them to wearing a mask for eight hours a day. So when the whole uh, media hit and the media basically, you know, bombarded me about my stance on not wanting teachers to get vaccinated, it blew up half the community, not half, but a good part of the community, I'd say 30 something percent, and they left the school. Now, um, what happened was I got 105 new kids who came from all over the country and outside the country, is Spain and Canada and few other places, France, who were very much attracted to what we're doing and attracted to this way of life. You know, we're all about holistic living. My kids meditate every day. They do sound bowl healing once a week. We eat super healthy food. I mean, we're all organic. We're non-GMO, non-processed. We have a private chef, no sugar, no dairy, just very, very healthy food as well as instilling critical thinking, instilling project-based learning, just different ways to teach our kids. And so I've attracted those parents who are in alignment with us. And I have repelled the parents who are just blindly focused on these shots that, are, that they think are going to save our planet. And so they've actually done, the media has done me a great favor because I'm trying to build a community. That's okay. my number one goal. And it's like we're building a tribe. And it's not easy when you have people in the community who are just completely on the other end and there's no talking to them and no discussing with them. It's like, what do you mean? You know, I had parents who were leaving. And like, as soon as this is available for my child under 12, I'm going to be the first in line. Okay, great. So you're not a good fit for this school. If you can't use basic analysis of data, that clearly states your child has a 99.9974% survival rate, you would rather inject them with an unknown drug, okay, that has 
that has unknown long-term side effects, and we've seen the immediate side effects of myocarditis and death, if you think that drug is better than them getting COVID naturally, then you're probably not a right fit for my community anyway. And now this year, I have great parents who are perfectly in alignment, and they're just excited about where we're headed and what we're doing, and it's great. I'm happy the way things went down because I can look at all my parents' faces and they come up to me and they thank me and they, they're like, thank you for having a safe haven for my children. Thank you for not keeping them in this box. Thank you for doing whatever you can to make sure that they're safe. There are schools all over the country where these vaccine vehicles are going inside the schools and they're vaccinating kids without parents' knowledge. My parents know over my dead body will that ever happen. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to bring up too, you know, we know we've had a 62% increase in cardiovascular events in uh, 12 to 18 year olds in the last two months. That's the same time period they started giving them the jab. And that's over a five year running average. That's a huge increase. And uh, when you're, when people are confronted with that, what's their reaction to that? Do they just put their head in the sand? I mean, how are you getting that reaction back they, from them? They're so brainwashed in many cases and blinded by um, the media's fear-mongering that they actually believe that those cases are from kids that have got that ha- that were asymptomatic to COVID, didn't know they had COVID, and now they're developing issues later on. I mean, it's it's, it's oh, crazy. Oh wow, that's creative thinking. <laughs> it's great. I'm like, okay, so the child was fine, but then got a shot and developed heart inflammation or a stroke and you somehow blame that to this uh, asymptomatic COVID when the, when this happened right after their shot like wh- how did you connect these dots yeah that asymptomatic argument of course is completely illogical also you have to be sick in order to be sick uh, you need to be sick in order to spread something you can't spread something you don't have right and asymptomatic, what asymptomatic COVID, uh, well, if it was that asymptomatic, your body just, you know, your immune system just throws it off and says, oh, well, no, no biggie. Yeah, so that doesn't make any sense. So I, because I hear this statement, this just makes my blood boil. People blindly following the mandates and, and you know, I, I don't want to get to the law side at all because I have a short time here and my audience has heard me rail on about this all the time about how mandates aren't laws, blah, blah, blah. By the way, uh, this particular mandate about the employers, I, I have to put this out here just for a second, is it's never even been put into writing. It was said at a press conference. Uh, it's a corpocracy enforcing all of this. That's all that is, if you're up against that. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So about this and it, and blindly following, I don't think it's so blind because we know that it's follow the money. like, And we know that they have this CARE Act and that they get paid these millions and millions of sometimes billions of dollars to implement these things, they get paid this much for uh, a COVID death certificate. They get this much for mandating that the kids are masked or that you have to have vaccine passports. And people may or may not be aware of that, but there is absolutely a money trail. And that's starting to be revealed, too. So this idea that it's blind, is mm, that is completely a disingenuous statement that people make. And maybe they're blind to the fact that it's not blind. Uh, or maybe to have their head in their sand. I don't know. But like you said, I mean, if you really just, you could spend 15 minutes truly searching 
And I, although everything is censored, there are plenty of underground places that you can access to really look at the information. And not even underground, just take an unbiased look at the CDC data. Yeah, I wanted to go back into that because in the Pfizer documents about the, the possible consequences of their uh, gene-altering lethal injection drug, that uh, right there on page 66 actually goes into the transmission issues. This isn't a shedding issue. This is a transmission issue. Be very clear about it. That may only be words, but there is a significant difference scientifically. On page 66, they explain that a person who has been vaccinated can cause a person who has been unvaccinated to become ill, and that person can go home and cause another person to become ill. In other words, it not, doesn't stop with one generation out. And I just heard data, I think it was yesterday, that said that they have 251 times the load of viral load of someone who has naturally occurring uh, COVID. This whole thing about this that got you started is near and dear to my heart because our, our listeners know that I had a reaction early on and did not know what was happening to me, and I was really sick. It nearly landed me in the ER, which I'll do anything to stay out of, and I was down in a fetal position for 10 days, and it has had long-term effects on me. And so when those parents that were, I'm just curious, I'm trying to get into the mind of these people that can't. What was their reaction to that? Did they just call you a conspiracy theorist and that was their whole explanation, like a sorority sister kind of explanation, or what was it? Well, I sent the Pfizer protocol document that you're referencing. That's page 66 or 67 to 69. That clearly states exactly what you said, that somebody unvaccinated can be impacted through skin contact or inhalation from a recently vaccinated person that was in the study and that that and if there is an adverse reaction that the unvaccinated person needs to report it to the investigator. I sent this to my parent community uh you know last school year and of course you get the people that say that 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 was you know fact check. <laughs> I'm like you can't check fact check a Pfizer protocol document. There is no fact checking that. That's their document. They clearly stated it right there in black and white. So, you know, maybe shedding is the wrong word, but transmission is 100% happening. And what they're saying is protein that's basically transmitting through skin contact or inhalation, that's basically impacting the unvaccinated person. Like, that's on their protocol document. So call me crazy, call me whatever you want, but it's black and white. You don't need to believe it. And the use of conspiracy theory, the use of this word was purposely set up many, many years ago to discredit the person. It's used to gaslight the person and make them seem crazy. Like, it's just part of the game. It's part of the scam. And I'll tell you, you know, at some point, this is going to break. And the truth is going to be 100% exposed. But for now, they're doing everything they can to stop it. I mean, there was a Facebook page with over 70,000 people, unvaccinated people that were impacted by vaccinated people that were all sharing their story, and the, the, the page completely was taken down. Yeah, I, I actually didn't see that on Facebook because I refused to do Facebook, but I saw it. There's a vaccine-shedding channel on uh, Telegram that people can go to, and that's and they had screenshots from that Facebook page, thousands of them posted up on there. And then there's many, many anecdotal stories of people 
on that uh, vaccine shedding is the name of the channel on, on telegram. That's how I got started and started my channel because they were posting about this and, and there were some women who were identical in circumstance to me as far as where their bodies were and what, what had happened to them. And they were saying identical things to what had happened because I, I wasn't having a menstrual cycle because I had had a hysterectomy. So I was baffled by what was happening. But then when I heard that, so you get support, you can get support for all of this and there's different things. And I would say again, like you're, you're absolutely correct. It takes about 15 minutes to find any of this. Uh, it takes longer than that to read through the documents, but first thing you need to do is stop using the mainstream platforms, and that means stop using Google. Who censors most of your uh, your searches? Use DuckDuckGo or Yandex or something like that. Do not keep using this, and and use a different browser. Use Brave or or something, but do not use Safari and Chrome. Um, these are part of the research. You know, they're not tricks. They're just they're flat out editing all the information that comes to you. And it's not that hard once you get around that. It really isn't. Telegram is a, uh, it has a plethora of information available to anybody in seconds. I don't mean to, to, to take your thing. It's just like I want to let people know this is, you know, go out there and do it, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, actually, I just looked on Telegram right now, and I typed in vaccine shedding, and three different groups popped up. Um you could type in COVID victims. You can type in um, COVID vaccine injuries, and it's just there's so much information, and you just you can't turn the blind eye. What I tell people is it's interesting. Somebody was telling me, you know, her friend just gave their six-year-old and nine-year-old um, the the COVID shot, and she goes, "I'm so sad for her because she's an older mom and worked so hard to have a baby in the first place." to then be so blind to not want to further dig deep on exactly what this shot is and really analyze basic data from the CDC's website and the CDC theirs database. And to not look at that information and choose to blindly follow is so sad because what's gonna happen to these two? Who, who knows in five years if they're gonna have a heart attack or a stroke and die? I mean the media and all the propaganda that's going around, they're already pushing information like it's normal for a child to have a heart attack. Like they're already normalizing this. It's not normal. Okay, we're up on break. You're listening to the other side of the news. This is Kinthea, Timothy Saunders, and Annette Driscoll. We'll be back. It'll all go well. This is all blow over, you know. And now they're kind of realizing that it isn't, but, but because people would not take the jab, they're basically holding them to ransom, holding them hostage in their homes, basically saying that the, the only way to establish freedom again is to take the jab. And so people are sort of gradually complying. A lot of people are gradually complying, but so many people are dying from it. I mean, they're, they're basically genociding this country is what they're doing. And they're using it as an example for the rest of the world. And the Australian people, I mean, they're pretty kind of laid back. I mean, I, I call the place Apathralia because they're a pretty apathetic bunch. Um, I mean, I love them, but they just, you know, she'll be right, mate. You know, it's all good. Don't worry. You know, no worries, mate. This all, this whole attitude. And I'm starting to see now that actually, actually things are going a little pear-shaped. There's going to be a rude awakening for them, I think. 
within the next 12 months, they're going to realize just how much they've been played. And there's going to be this uh, five-minute red pill moment where they just have complete meltdowns, I think, once they really see what's going on. Mm. A lot of people are sort of getting it, but, but a lot of people aren't. They're still thinking it's going to go away. They're still thinking the government is their friend. I mean, the whole plan of this, the plan is to run this pandemic until 2025. That's when the funding runs out. Uh, if you look at the World Bank, you can look at the funding for COVID. It starts in April 2020 and runs until March 2025, March 31st, 2025. So that's how long they intend to run it for. Tend to be in the in their new world by 2025. So the way they're going to do it, they'll, they'll crash the United States last. They'll do it. They'll crash the United States probably in 2025. It'll be a gradual process because. See, we've been disarmed here so they can do certain things in, in certain ways and get us to comply with that. They're going to have to employ different countries in different ways. By the time they've destroyed most of the world around it, the United States will be last because it's a very robust, very strong sort of a nation. Everybody's armed. So they've got to break down the food chain and all that sort of stuff. So you will see what's happening in Australia in the United States around about 2025. That's what they plan to do. This is Max Segan, and I suggest that you tune into the other side of the news for information that you may not find at other sources, and it's always good to be up with what's really being said. Welcome back, and you're listening to the other side of the news with Myself, Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and Kintia. Tonight's edition is entitled Unmasking Critical Thinking. You guys have, have really set it up as a very, a very nice segue here. I say a very nice one, but unfortunately, the, the reality of what I'm about to say is, is quite disturbing. Just before this show, I was doing some research and I was listening to another show, and there was a phone in on an independent radio show, literally. It happened within you know the last hour and a half of this moment, and this the person phoning in was uh, somebody in the UK, someone in the London area. He was not giving ex- specific names or, or places, and we have to understand that it may be genuine and it may not be genuine. But he sounded genuine. I don't see why he would want to convey this information for any other reason. But he said that uh, he has a, a crematorium service and uh, a low-cost one to sort of help people who are less affluent. And he was talking about the various customers, families, victims uh, over, the, over the COVID period. And he said only very recently he was absolutely in despair when he went into a particular hospital, into the mortuary, and there were 30 babies in there in one hospital at one time. And uh, that is obviously not normal. So that's not getting out to the media, obviously. Um, but people that's are sorry. starting. There are 30 babies that were born dead or they died within like a certain Because I'm hearing that there are babies that are dying within 72 hours of their birth because he, he of the was... vaccine. He was very clear that he would not want to share any names, any places, or any history of the people who had died, of the souls that had died. 
but he said he went into one mortuary and in there there were 30 babies. Now, one would understand, I guess, from that, that they were not mature babies. So um, there's no there's no guarantee this is even true. But the point is, he sounded genuine, and I just do not know why he would do it for kicks and giggles. So I, I'm thinking that without validation, this probably is more true than untrue. But uh, so. It, it is heartbreaking. I mean, again, I, I, the reason I'm saying it is because one of the reasons why we continue to invest our time and energy into this show and, and to, to speak with people like yourself who are lighting the way forward is, is purely because we want to bring awareness. That's why we're so fixated, I guess, on trying to awaken people, find different ways to bring attention to people. But But also, you know, what you're doing is a great success story. If, if I just, you know, jump a few, a few dots further forward, what I've heard is from your previous interviews and, and the research I've done is that you are very careful to select teachers, I believe, without vaccination. Uh, I'm, I'm not telling you maybe that's changed, but you're not enforcing mask wearing in the school, and I think you have a high success rate of children who prefer not to wear a mask at school. Um, Anti-social distancing is, is something of the past, I guess. So apart from the fact that you have a fantastic syllabus and, and the subjects and things that the children, activities they get up to, things are fairly much back to normal um, and, and attracting great numbers of new, new students, new children, which is wonderful. But if you take the mainstream view, you know, the, the, the believers, no, you're not wearing masks. You don't have vaccinated children or teachers, and uh, you know you're not practicing anti-social distancing. Surely it must be an absolute disaster. It should be carnage in your school. There must be like people sick everywhere and the absentees. And then how has the reality been? I think we're all fairly aligned in what we believe here, but I'm just really asking, what is the reality of absenteeism? I mean, do you have? people going off sick? Do you actually have people contracting COVID? Do you have any problems? So um, last school year, um, maybe uh, November of, I want to say 2020, November 2020, uh, we had a string of COVID cases and everybody got through it pretty much asymptomatic. Most of the kids, you know, Mm -hmm. the teacher, all got through it. Everybody got through it. No issues. I feel like we got natural herd immunity. Wonderful. Um, and, and then we got a couple cases in January, and then we, we really didn't see any cases, you know, until I think recently maybe uh, uh, we got a couple. But we literally have, like, it's, it's amazing. I mean, our kids are healthy. They're happy. Not one teacher or child has gone to the hospital from getting covid uh, we mm-hmm. did surprise over the summer. Uh, a lot of the uh, teachers that were on summer break, they contracted COVID over the summer, but it was mild. They had no issues. And so they came into the school year with many of those teachers basically also having herd immunity. So I feel like, you know, this herd immunity thing is really natural immunity because we're allowing people to live normal and be normal, like I said, over the summer, I think that's where they got it the most because many of them were traveling and they were all over the place. 
but we haven't had any issues. We haven't. I mean, I'm hearing from other schools that kids are having a lot of respiratory viruses. We, our school has not had that. Why? Because we have no kids in our school wearing masks, and I won't hire a teacher who wants to wear a mask. I'm a Good private school. I'm allowed to. I wish I lived a bit closer. <laughs> well, I would uh, sign my kids up straight away. Yeah. When I, I tell teachers, listen, if you're afraid, don't 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 come outside your house. Don't I'm not I'm not going to make kids suffer because of your fear when there's zero data that shows that these masks work. And it clearly states on the box in the box. Mm-hmm. And there were studies sixteen that clearly state the masks do not help protect against viruses. Oh it's, it's a complete farce. It's a complete farce. Yeah. I mean I I would have thought also a lot of the success you are having is because of state of mind. I mean, people are, it sounds like you're, you know, what you do, you're glowing, you're, you're being human, you're doing what humans do best. And not only that, but you're also um, teaching them in such a, a different and innovative way. Uh, I, I just wanted to just offer a few, a few contrasts, for example. I mean, my eldest son is around 13 years old. And uh, when I was 13 years old, was going back a little while. I had just come out of a single-sex, strict uh, private school in England where I naturally wanted to write with my left hand, but I was threatened to be beaten to write with my right hand. And actually, I did feel the end of a cane one time, uh, and it was quite painful. But that's the sort of education level mentality, I should say, not level, uh, that was going on then. Uh, very soon after that, I won a scholarship. I went to a, a, a different school, I guess the equivalent of your high school. And in there, suddenly that was like an oasis of, of far more culture, far less strict regulations and so on. And I recall there was this uh, drama lesson. We had never had drama before. We had woodwork, we had metalwork, we were welding, we were using woodworking tools, lathes, you know, it was designed lessons and so on. It was incredible along the lines of all the other, uh, you know, more academic subjects. But this drama lesson, I remember, I think it was even in the first week, the first or the first day of the first week in this new school. And the drama teacher literally said, okay, everybody, uh, there were, I don't know what, 30 people in, in my class and uh, line up 15 people either side of the room and just walk around in a circle around these sort of stage boxes and uh, so we were walking around for about five minutes thinking, what the hell is this all about? And everyone's sort of, you know, questioning, shuffling along. And then he, every time people would walk around, he would turn up the volume of the music. And it happened to be uh, Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. So you imagine after a few more minutes, the volume was quite loud. And the euphoric feeling that suddenly everybody had more or less at the same time, not individually, but also as a group. People were running around, laughing, screaming, having fun, uh, uh, smiles sort of cracking from one ear to the other. And that was just the perfect demonstration of a different education system from what I'd been in for the last six years. And all of those things I've just outlined are totally primitive up to what you're doing in Miami. But I just wanted just to give a little reflection about how the education system is 
still very new. You know, we talk about uh, Horace Mann, the uh, the father of public education, and how perhaps the Prussian model was was brought into America, uh, not just America, but I think internationally. I think that that sort of mindset of thinking children are empty, they need to be filled with information, crammed full, and then tested to see if they can copy and paste at the end of the term in an exam. I mean, it's so primitive, so primitive. And this is where we get our zombies from. This is why I think we have so many zombies walking around the place with two masks on, jogging with masks on, driving with masks on, asking for their fourth booster and so on because they, they've never done critical thinking or, or they, they left that talent behind, that natural talent behind, probably you know, 10, 20, 30 years before. So I know I, I'm jumping from one point to another, but what I, I'm coming to to sort of round all this together is I am so delighted to hear what you're doing in Miami, and I just wish you could somehow extend this internationally, globally, to make your academy spread to different countries, to different age groups. Do you have any plans to expand? We are, first of all, we are hiring right now. Um, we have, um, we're hiring for this school year, some more elementary school teachers, and we are hiring for next school year. And I'm also hiring, I'm looking to build a strong curriculum team. So that way I can put together everything that we're doing in writing and build a training facility so that way I can help get this model out to the rest of the world. It just takes time. We need to really kind of formalize and finalize our foundation, and then I could be able to get this out to the world. It's just, it's just a matter of time, but I, I really, really want to be able to offer this to parents that want to start their own school at home or um, not just parents, but, you know, any, anybody that's passionate about education that wants to do something about it and it can be done. It just, it just takes time on my end. Well, I, I wish you great success with that. And, uh, you know, this side in, in Turkey, uh, some years ago, we did try a, an alternative school, which unfortunately didn't work out so well. It was called Bashka Okulumumkun. It means another type of schooling is, or another type of education is possible. That was the name of the school. And it was a cooperative setup. And it was, you know, it was in a beautiful valley. And they were, they managed to get a, quite a few things right, like the organic food and the freedom, the clean air, the, uh, the, the sort of the giving the children more responsibility to make choices about what they would study on a daily basis. But unfortunately, that it fell down because the, the funding wasn't there. And I, I think that it is quite a stretch if people have been um, indoctrinated through the normal schooling system, it's very difficult for them to actually believe and put their weight behind such a radical way of educating children. But I think that the beauty is that what you're doing is living proof that it is possible and I, I really do hope that you know you continue to expand and somehow manage to, as I say, create satellite schools around the globe. Go on. Yeah, I, I think in order to truly save our future, 
our country, our world is by unbrainwashing our youth and getting them to think for themselves and analyze the situation and ask themselves, ask, is this right? Does it feel right? Check in, check into their heart and soul and go, you know, is this right? I mean, I always kind of had that natural ability to just look at a situation and go, okay, something is off about this and I need to dig in. Part of that is something you're, you've grown up with and another part of it is something you can, that can be taught. I mean, I went to, you know, I, I used to be an auditor for an accounting firm and I remember my first training, we were taught professional skepticism. Don't just take what you hear as what it is. And I remember having this two-week program on learning how to be professionally skeptical. <laughs> and so you can be taught to look at information and really ask yourself, does this make sense? And really, I feel like anybody that's able to truly do that, not being in fear, can come to the same conclusion. This, this is, we've been sold a bag of, a bag of nonsense. I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I do question, we, we constantly question also when we invite our guests onto the show, we, we invariably ask, you know, how is it that we can see the reality that we understand to be, you know, how can we see it so clearly that this is a, a you know, a, a fake pandemic? It, it, it's a plandemic. It, it's a whatever, you know, slang word we want to give it. And yet so many people are just on the conveyor belt, lining up and uh, tuning into their propaganda every day and discussing how many statistics, how many cases there are, you know, ordering new boxes of masks and just hoping that the reality is going to come back to normal. I mean, it, it's just bizarre how asleep the majority of the people on the planet are. And, but that's changing fast. And uh, again, Florida thanks to your, your governor, I believe is, is a shining light leading the, the path for well, Florida and other states as well. But it certainly are shining examples leading the way for other people to follow. Yeah, and I think we need more people, more civilians who are not brainwashed and want to fight the system to take the places of the super left liberals that are in on these school boards that are destroying our youth with critical race theory and these indoctrinations. Yes, critical race theory and also asking, you know, minors if if they're happy with their gender. I mean, what's all that about? Seriously. I mean, (laughs) is that really appropriate? It's not, but it's part of the evil agenda. Think about it. To confuse a child about their gender is insane. I mean, I have a six-year-old and uh, we're not even going to have a conversation. Like, you're a girl. That's it. You're a girl. And if one day when she's an adult and she figures that she feels like a boy, then that's one thing. But to steer them into that direction of you're five years old, you have a choice, that's wrong. I totally agree. I can't totally agree. These are kids that live in their imagination mind anyway. You don't give a child a choice to be what gender they want to be. It's crazy. No, it is It is insane. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, as a school owner, I have to sit through those people. I we When we 
interview, we ask very specific questions. What do you feel about critical race theory? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about teaching kids that they can choose their gender? And when if they answer us, which we had, one lady said to us, oh, I think it's only fair. Okay, this interview's done. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, thank you for you know? Yeah, thank you for coming through our doorway today, yes, and leaving. Yeah. But, uh, exactly. I mean, you know? it, it, it is bizarre. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. But, I mean, if it's, if it's acceptable to decide that uh, you want to be a different gender when you're five years old, then perhaps you can perhaps decide that you want to be a different race at five years old as well. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. And yet somehow it's become normal for so many people. Yeah, it has. It has become normal. And if we we just need more people with the heart and the soul and the bravery to say no. That's all. That's all. I mean, if you go to New York and you see all of these little businesses with the sign that says, you know, show your vaccine ID, all they have to do is team up and decide that they're not going to do that. And let de Blasio or whoever send them fines. Take the fines. Mm-hmm. Take it, but stand up together. Or consumers. If consumers protested and said, we will not give our money to any establishment that is forcing vaccines, what do you think is going to happen? Those owners are going to quickly realize, what should I rather have? A fine that I can choose to not pay for? Because you can. You can tear up that fine and say, this is unconstitutional. I won't pay it. Or you can lose all this business if you allow this to continue. So there are choices we can make, but people are just taking the cowardly way out, you know, and I'm a good example of how to not take the cowardly way out and to say, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to mask my kids. I did not buy one plexiglass around my kids' desks. Absolutely Mm. not. I had vendors come in and I said, get out. I will not be (laughs) But my kids' death, get out. You know, I, w- I would not be pumping their hands with sanitizer. Instead, what did I do? I spent $30,000 on UV light filters that I put with inside my HVAC unit. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, wonderful. So you're, you're cleaning. Yeah, I increased my cleaning. I increased my cleaning crew. You know, uh, that's what I invest in common sense. Of course. Of course, and also I believe you've you've recently uh, added a farm, a small farm to your uh, estate, so that you have your own food grown. And do the kids also go there as well? Do they go and learn about how crops grow and so on? Yeah, they will. We are building the farm now. We have 34 acres. When I saw an article that Bill Gates is buying up kind of a ton of land, I said, okay, if Bill Gates is doing this, he's doing it for a reason. I need to. Uh, prepare ourselves by buying land so that way whatever evil plan he has I have a plan of protection so I want to be able to feed our community I want to be able to take our kids to the farm so they can touch the soil they can learn about farming they can be one with you know the the, the ground the trees that you know connect to the animals uh, and the families can learn how to farm in their own backyard that's excellent. That's wonderful. I, 
I really love that because that connection with the earth is so lost in these days of technology where we're, you see the kids sitting at a table together in a, in a, you know, eating place and they're talking to each other on their phones and not looking at each other. So we need that connection with the earth and nothing better than to be in the land with your feet in the dirt, your hands in the dirt. So that's great. Yeah. Thanks. We need an education. I think gardening and farming is super important because it's the fuel that runs our bodies. And I, I'll, this is terrible, but uh, I was at a farmer's market in San Francisco a couple of years back, and there's a guy who just sells heirloom beans. And I remember this girl came up, and I mean, she was not an uneducated girl, and she was probably 20, early 20s, 22 years old, something like that. She came up, and she was absolutely adamant, and she was totally serious, and she was very, very frustrated with the answer. She wanted to know, and she was literally slamming her hand on a bag of beans saying, well, are these vegan? I mean, can you guarantee these are vegan? She really didn't understand that beans couldn't be anything but. And that's really sad when you're that disconnected from the food supply that you don't understand what's an animal product and what's a plant product. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, a lot of that's, you know, I, I was lucky. I had a, a father who educated me on experientially on many, many things, but I'm looking at parents now today and maybe they don't have time. They don't have interest. I don't know what it is, but somehow we need to pick up that slack and get kids grounded back into, look, we are food from this earth and we better figure this out. Right. So I, I love that idea. Yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> exactly. I also I'm really just... like, Oh, go ahead, Annetta. Oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also like the the idea of the entrepreneurial aspect that you're taking the kids out and letting them use their creative skills to learn how they're going to maneuver and navigate through life. It's astounding to me that children go through an education, go to college, and they're never even taught how to balance their checkbook <laughs> or you know how to do basic functions to get through life and earning a living. You're taught more to just fall in, take orders, be the robot. You know, they want they want us to train a generation of robots that will just take orders rather than being entrepreneurs, creating new new ways of living, new ways of feeding ourselves. In every aspect, there's that creative element that has been so squashed. And uh, I love that you're focusing on developing those talents within the children. Well, I'm curious, Layla, um, when you're teaching your students these uh, skills of entrepreneurship and creative thinking, like what kind of projects do you engage your students in? What What is the teaching process? So um, right now we are doing a project where um, the kids are going to have a little mini market in December and they're making popsicles, different flavored, healthy popsicles that are all natural with no sugar, uh, just made of fruit. And we're just, we've been going through the process of, uh, you know, um, the kids did a little logo and they picked a name and they had to go online and find the ingredients and figure out the cost. And on Tuesday, they're going to make some sample tests. They're going to test it out on Thursday. 
Uh, they're going to fine tune their ingredient list. They're going to learn the break even. How much do they need to sell to pay back the cost? And then, um, and then they're going to sell it in December. And they learn teamwork, and they learn collaboration, and they learn communication. And they're practicing their writing, and they're practicing their reading, and they're practicing their research skills. So it truly is a cross-curricular approach to learning. I wish you could see my face because my smile is from ear to ear. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hearing, hearing, like you've engaged the creative aspect of the logo design and the accounting aspect of will they break even and the production aspect. It's just fabulous. I love it. Wow. Yeah, it's. it's I like it. They, they're getting a little. They're getting different parts of different things to see what they're passionate about and 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 what they like, and it allows them to go. You know what? hey, I really like business, or I really like art, or I really like music, as well as reading, writing, and math. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. right along the lines of what I was going to say, Cynthia, because I think, you know, what we're looking here is we've got an education system that's really, uh, it educates the creativity and the thinking right out of the kids in general. And uh, what we see is, is a great system for memorization and regurgitation versus critical thinking and critical thinking is really the ability to question if one asks a question that could be like why should i comply show me the reason why this this makes sense or show me the scientific data or it's like a questioning process which i think what layla was saying was exactly on par we have a situation where systematically these parts have been cut out from our educational system over uh, several generations and to become more compliant to not ask questions, comply, 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 then we can take advantage of you and do anything and you'll be very complicit and compliant in the slavery system. And uh, we need to not only put the brakes on that, but to reverse it and each individual, whether you have children or not, I don't have children, but I do the best I can with trying to talk to people about this, trying to talk to kids, show them and one of the best ways and you can chime in on this Layla is 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 this I think is this experiential education and the questioning education and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing yeah that's exactly what we're doing exactly what we're doing yeah and so I live in in California and uh when I go into a place I, I don't put the mask on I've had lots of very ugly confrontations with people but my tactic, and this is a great skill, and I think it's, it's part of the critical thinking skill set that people need to learn, is to ask the question, well, what gives you the authority to tell me I need to put this on my face? Or what's the scientific uh, reasoning behind this? Or whatever. You know, you have to be fluid in, in how you're asking your questions. But to ask a question is to not, not confront directly, but to make people think. The whole point of asking a question is to engage them to start that process of their mind and that may be hard because a lot of people literally have had that part of their mind educated right out of them and uh, so I think what you're doing Layla is so vital and I I really really hope we can get this uh, system out there and in wide distribution and we need to do it soon and fast but in the meantime people can do this individually with people that they know. Layla may I ask you where you stand on climate issues because obviously that's been a lot in the the news the last week or two 
this COP COP26 last week, we did a, a show dedicated to what we called uh, COP Out 26. Um, I have to say I'm not a big believer in the uh, climate calamity or the climate emergency that we're we're, we're coming into. Apparently, uh, I think it's just another whole vein of uh, control and taxation. Um, well, I look at what, it simply. If they mm -hmm. really care about our environment and really cared about climate, why are they forcing us to wear a mask that's polluting our earth? Yes. You know, how I many mean, how many masks do you see in the street every day? How many and just lying in fields? It's it's in the sea. And yeah, it's horrible. So they don't care about climate. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They care about power and control. And all this, you know, the climate issues that they're bringing up, all it's doing is creating that path so they can tax us more, control us more, and do things like I've been hearing, you know you know, one week lockdown every year to stop emissions. I mean, this is crazy. This is insane. It is insane. And, and people are buying it hook, line, and sinker. There are so many things that can be done. Okay, let's stop selling plastic water bottles. How, yes. how much will that save our earth? Let, you know, let's stop wasting money, you know, Plastic forks and knives. You know, at my school, we buy the wooden ones. Wonderful. There are so many things that can be done on a, a, you know, that would equate to a huge impact on our environment that aren't being done because they don't care about our environment. It's all a farce. It is. And there's a whole thing about carbon dioxide being the enemy when it's actually plant food. And it's so insignificant up to... Well, the human emission of carbon dioxide is so insignificant up to the huge other percentage of, of gases in our atmosphere naturally. And our, our contribution is tiny up to the already tiny contribution in the whole atmosphere. It's just blown out of all proportion. And yet a lot of children are becoming scared. I mean, I've seen on mainstream media children answering some very strange answers because they're being taught all sorts of bullshit carbon mm -hmm. dioxide being a terrible uh something to fear something to dread in the future it and a lot of children in, in i'm not saying in your part of the world but i have i'm just referring to various uh show reels or, or podcasts I, i've seen where you know children are actually being terrified they don't even know if they're going to sort of make it to middle age because they'll be flooded out or there'll be, you know, uh, an ice age will come off, whatever it is they've been told. It's, it's, it's just it's unreal. Sad. It's unreal. Mm. It really it, It's sad that, you know, this is the next phase, you know, this is the next part of their plan, their Agenda 2030 plan. It's not going to end. No, no. And the whole thing about 2050 being a date when okay, well, we're not going to conform until 2050, so let's get the coal stations out, let's get the nuclear power stations brewing up, and let's do everything else for the next 20-something years and enjoy it while we can. Um, that's the other aspect, which is very strange. Not to mention, I heard this week that uh, I think you called him King Biden. Uh, King Biden apparently had signed some protocol where land will be acquired in, in vast quantities across the United States uh, for... CO2 recycling, 
about actually pumping CO2 down underground, uh, putting huge pipelines across America. It's really, really bizarre. I mean, it's totally unnecessary. And, you know, what right does anybody have to take land from farm, farm owners, stop them from growing real food? It's, it's another whole chapter. We should go into this some other time, but it, it's just outrageous. Yeah, it, it really is. And again, it's not going to stop until people make it stop. Non-compliance. I was just going to add in there that this uh, situation, that you know, the gardening, the farming, is so important to teach children not not only about that, but also that carbon dioxide is fertilizer for food. We know throughout history, archaeological and geological history, as the carbon dioxide levels go up. So does plant growth, and we and we have the more uh, abundant and prosperous times, and that's through human history too. So we have these little little ages where it goes up and down, and we can see this based on history and architecture, and we can take these ice samples and, and do all this. So this is part of the education system too, to educate uh, people enough that they know that this other stuff is BS, and also to understand how it is used to our advantage and you know, gardening is one of those things and growing our own food and understanding the relationship in the ecosystem. It's all so critically important. It's all tied together. So I'd like to come back to a point you were just making, Layla, about how we have to simply say no. We have to stand up to it. And I'm wondering what stance are the students participating in this and what are they also using their voice to speak up because I have seen demonstrations of students at high schools speaking up. And so I'm wondering, are your students being encouraged to speak up against these forced mandates or are they wanting to, or is it, what is the level of participation of students in terms of protesting or speaking up or standing for themselves? You know, I think, um, the parents in our community are just trying to really shield their kids from this. I mean, my daughter's a little different. Like I'm teaching her to stand up for her rights. And if she's walking and she walks into a store and someone tells her to put on a mask, tell them no. Um, and she comes home and tells me, you know, last year when we had kids in her class wearing masks, mom, I, I tried to tell so-and-so why their brain needs oxygen and they don't need to wear a mask. So she's a little freedom fighter on her own, and she's only six years old. The other kids in our community, it's really just up to the parents. I, there are some kids that are standing up and trying to uh, open the eyes of their friends that are in different schools. But as a school in whole, we're really not doing anything like that. I mean, I'm an activist on my own. I speak out on my own. Um, and I speak out as Layla Fetner, but also a school owner who can show that it's okay to let our kids be free. It, you're, you're not going to have dead bodies all over the school. Like what we're doing is what needs to happen. And if you believe otherwise, then combat it with the truth that I'm seeing right in front of my face with almost 300 kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I think parallel with this is the using our voice. So I love hearing that your daughter at six is speaking up and using her voice. 
our future is dependent on our children using their voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and I again, I wish, I, again, it, this is really all boils down to the adults not teaching the kids how to decipher nonsense from truly something that they need to be afraid of and not teaching kids to stand up for for their rights. I mean, I saw an Instagram post with a dad who was amazing. He was supporting his kids and there were other parents around that were supporting their kids to fight back and go into school without wearing a mask. And they did it. They won. There were like 30 kids. Wow. I mean, if more did that, then this, again, this would end. Maybe so. And uh, you're taking the steps to make it so. Really grateful for that. Definitely. You know, you also mentioned that you do meditation in your school, mindfulness. Uh-huh, we do. We meditate, and the kids do sample healing every week. They meditate every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And, and our kids coming into the school that haven't meditated before, and now this is a new experience for them, or... Yeah, and, you know, it's part of the learning process to calm your mind. And so, like, are the students themselves remarking on what they're noticing as far as their day, how it flows when they've done a meditation or not done a meditation? Are they noticing the impact of meditating? Yeah, you know, it keeps their immune system up. It just kids are a lot more successful when their mind is quiet and they're able to work through um, different emotions that they're experiencing. And mm-hmm. so the only way that is to learn how to do that. And, you know, our school is a good place to learn how to do that. So the students themselves are embracing this as a tool for their well-being. Exactly. Absolutely. That's what it's there for. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. And gratitude? (laughs) Is there a lot of gratitude going on? Yeah, that's an important part of our curriculum. Gratitude is super important. Yeah, especially now in these times. I think when we smile, it's contagious and gratitude is contagious. So even if they, they have friends that are not in the school, they, in a sense, are impacting their friends the circle of influence is going out from your school to all the friends of those children. Yes, exactly. Beautiful to behold. Exactly. Oh my gosh, Layla, we've already reached the end of the show. Thank you so much. It's been fabulous. Timothy. So despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists, and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research and to stop acquiescing and stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power and you wake up each day with power. It is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give away that power. You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 79th edition is entitled Unmasking Critical Thinking and remains available to all listeners free of charge at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Kintia and Aneta, 
offer special thanks to our guest, Leila Sentner. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you and our next edition next Friday.
thousands we are billions we are billions of people so they need technology very advanced technology to be able to control us and that is where AI 5G comes in and then through the vaccine also get rid of two thirds of us so it's like a very 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 dark agenda they want to play out but I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Oh, like my mom said, fan bloody tasty. Hi, this is Ola Damagod from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows. So, enjoy. 